Grace and mercy and peace are yours, God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God's word for our meditation this morning is our first lesson from Hosea chapter 3. Hosea writes, The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to the, his blessings in the last days. This is the word of the Lord. I'll tell you, I haven't gotten it here at all, I don't think. But you know, there's the old pastor joke, you know. Well, you only work one day a week. What do you do the rest of the week, right? Maybe you ask, don't ask me that because you know that joke is old and pastors hear that over and over. Maybe you know that, that pastors do a little bit more than work just one day a week. You know, there's, yes, the Sunday mornings, two services and Bible study and everything else that goes along with it. And there's other Bible classes throughout the week. There's preparing for Sunday, for putting a sermon together in the worship service. There's, there's visits that need to be made to homebound members, to members who are straying, who aren't coming. There's counseling to do. There's learning that I've got to continue to do to grow in my knowledge so I can teach you and preach to you. Oh, and then I've got a family and a house to take care of as well, right? I mean, you know that pastors' lives are, are busy. But for the most part, I'll be honest, it's, it's enjoyable. You get to share God's word. You get to be in God's word for a living. And for the most part, the people that I share God's word with, they want to hear it. They look forward to it. They come here to hear it. The prophets of the Old Testament maybe didn't have it as good as we do as pastors today. Their lives were about sharing God's word. And just like pastors today, there's law. That message that... We're sinful. We, we deserve death and hell from God. But then there's also that message of the gospel, the good news that there is a Savior who has rescued you from those sins. Just like pastors preach those messages of law and gospel today, so God's Old Testament prophets did. But, but if you read through some of those books that bear the names of the prophets in the Old Testament, you, maybe sometimes you wonder, there's not a, seemingly a whole lot of gospel here. There's not a whole lot of good news. There's a lot of talk about punishment and destruction and consequences of sin. The prophets had a hard job. Because they were coming often to people who didn't want to hear their message. They're coming to God's chosen people. Who he had loved and, and rescued from slavery and done everything for them. Blessed them physically and spiritually, but yet they reject him. And so he sends the prophets in his love for them with, with stern messages of judgment. Because he loved them. And he was warning them. Leading, wanting to lead them to repentance. And for so many it fell on deaf ears. And they just kept on doing what they were doing anyways. 
And for others, it got violent. Many of the prophets in the Old Testament were persecuted, and they suffered, and many lost their lives for their messages because they had to speak out against a king who himself was living in sin or leading God's nation away from him. A lot of the prophets in the Old Testament had it tough. But then you have Hosea. Hosea wasn't only instructed by God to bring message of judgment upon God's people, but, but his life became a sermon illustration to the people he preached to. This is what it says right at the beginning of Hosea. So chapter 1, this is not, we're looking at chapter 3. Chapter 1, this is what it says right at the beginning of, of this book of Hosea. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Hosea did not just preach to God's people law and gospel. He lived it. God tells him, go and marry a promiscuous woman. And, and we don't know what her situation was. Was she a prostitute? Was she one of those women who are at the, at the, at the temple of one of those false gods, or those fertility gods, which involved things that, you know, you can guess, fertility? Whatever her situation was, God says, go and marry. Make her your wife. Commit yourself to her. Settle down and have a family with her. And the illustration, the visual aid for not only Hosea, but for all of God's people was this is God's relationship with his people Israel. They have been unfaithful. But yet he loves them still. And he wants them to be in this covenant relationship with him. Now, you think that that would be enough, right? I mean, that, that would have got the message across to a lot of people, you think. Uh, but, but God's not quite done yet. That's not the end of the story. Here we have chapter 3. Listen to what, again, what, what it says here. The Lord said to me, Hosea writes, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. So what we can gather from the context is Gomer has been unfaithful to Hosea. She has gone off, been unfaithful to that marriage, left their children, left her husband, and has now with another guy. And where you think the response would be, done with her, right? She had her chance. She had everything. She had a husband who loved her, a safe place to live. Every need met by this loving, faithful husband. She didn't care. You think that the response of God to Hosea would be, forget her. But no. God tells Hosea, go. Make her your wife again. Go, even though she's loved by another, even though she's an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lethic of barley. 
And then I told her, Hosea says to Gomer, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. Now, you got to think, what was Hosea thinking when God says, you're going to go get her back? Really? Come on. Right? Think about the humiliation that Hosea has already had to go through to marry this woman in the first place. And now, after she's been unfaithful, to go back and, and bring her back home again and, and pay for her to be able to come back home again. Think about the pain that Hosea must have endured. But what does he do? He does it. Because he gets it. Because God tells him, this is a picture, a visual aid, a, a sermon illustration for you of, of my relationship with my people. Because that's exactly what happened over and over and over. Just think about how God had chosen his people to be his very own. All the way back to Abraham. He chooses his family. And then you see it through Isaac and Jacob and then into Egypt and through slavery and then the exodus and through the wilderness and all the way into the promised land. God has been faithful to his people. And what have they done the whole entire way? Sin. Claim they're going to be faithful but then turn around and grumble, complain, call out and say, God, you don't really care about us. And they turn to other gods. He says here they were loving to eat the sacred raisin cakes, which was part of the worship of Baal, one of the false gods of the nations around them. They were getting into this false worship of, of these other gods of the nations around them. Why? Well, maybe because they were just covering their bases. You know, if, if our God can't help us out, maybe one of these other gods will. Or, or maybe it was just peer pressure by the, the nations that they were living among. Or, or maybe the worship of these types of gods was just so appealing. And promise them things that they didn't think they could get from their God. God should have, after all of his faithfulness, said, forget you. I'm done with you. I don't love you anymore. But he doesn't. And in the life of Hosea, in this marriage of Hosea, we get to see on display God's love for his people. This absolutely faithful love that says, I am committed to you. When you sin and you worship other gods, I'm always there to welcome you back home. Oh, there would be consequences for their sins. For their continual rejection. That, that's really what he talks about at the end when he, of this section that we have. When he talks about they're going to, for many days, live without a king. They're going to live apart from that promised land. They're going to be exiled, but they're going to be brought back. God would still keep his promise that he would love his people and be faithful to the promise that he would bless them and eventually through them send that promised Savior. God should not have loved these people the way he did. Perfectly faithful. An endless love. A forgiving love. A love that was always ready to receive his people back, even in their unfaithfulness and their adultery toward him. Always ready to love them. So what does this have to do with us? Thousands of years later. I, I don't suspect that after service today, you're going to you know, go find some sacred raisin cakes. Or, you know, go do some Baal worship or find an Asherah pole somewhere. Right? I don't even know where you'd find those things, even if you wanted to. 
you know, and, and I don't suspect that after you leave here, you're going to head over to the Mormon temple or to the Jewish synagogue or to the Muslim mosque or even go see the local, you know, palm reader or, you know, person with the tarot cards. I, I don't think you're going to do any of those things. So what does this have to do with us? The gods that the first commandment talks about, you shall have no other gods before me, certainly talked about the gods of the Old Testament, those false gods that, that these Israelites were worshiping, those gods of Baal and Asherah and all the others, of the nations around them, those false gods. Right? They, they knew that was a sin, but they did it anyways. But, but it's more than just those gods made of wood and stone and metal. Because really, when the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me, what a false god, a small g god really is, is anything or anyone that becomes more important to us than the true God. Anything or anyone that we think is going to give us more peace or happiness or contentment or joy than the true God. And so the question for us today is, what gods are you two-timing the Lord with? And let me put it a little more crassly. What gods are you in bed with? Where's the spiritual adultery that you're committing in your life? Because you think about it, God has called you to be his very own. He's called you into this covenant relationship with him. You know that. You know what he has done for you, but what do we do? So often we set up these other gods in our life that, that we think are going to do more for us. So what are those gods in your life? Does it work? Has your job, your career become more important to you than your relationship with the true God? And it's taking your focus and your attention off of Him? Is it sports or leisure? Right? Just trying to find all this happiness in this life and, and live, live while it's day, right? And is that where you're trying to find your joy and happiness? Or maybe it's in money. Or the things that money can buy you. And that's where you think you're going to find your contentment. Maybe your God that you've been shacking up with is your busyness. You think you're too busy to be in his word. Your schedule is too full. You just don't have time. Busyness has become your God. You've got a lot more in common with these Israelites than maybe you first thought. What are those gods in your life that you are two-timing the Lord with? What is it that is receiving your attention, your love? What is it that you think is going to bring you peace and joy and comfort more than God himself? And what does God do? What does God do when he sees, looks down and sees these gods that we set up in our life? Does he just say, forget you? I'm done with you? You've had your chance? 
You've been unfaithful to me, and now I'm going to be unfaithful to you? I'm no longer going to love you? No, of course not. He does the same thing he does for his Old Testament people, these Israelites. He says, I've committed myself to you. I've made the promise to you that you are mine. And I will always be faithful to you and I will always love you. Even though you have gone out and committed spiritual adultery against me, I still love you anyways. Hosea had to go and buy his wife Gomer back with about $300 in silver and about 10 bush bushels of barley. We're bought back too. But it's not with gold or silver. It's certainly not with barley or any other grains. We're bought, brought and bought back into that relationship by the innocent blood of his own son. By that son that he sends to come and go to a cross and there to take on us, on him, the, the perfectly faithful one, faithful in life, faithful all the way to death, on him is placed all of our unfaithfulness, all of our adultery, all of the times that we have put anyone or anything else in our life before God, that all was placed on Jesus, all of those sins. And he took that punishment that we deserved. There he suffered the wrath of God so that God can look at us and say, I forgive you. You are loved. You are mine. It's in that life of that innocent son, it's in that death of that innocent son that we find and we see on full display, God's perfect, faithful love for us. You know, Hosea is not the only one in the Bible to, to have to use this illustration of marriage to describe God's relationship with us, with his people. It comes up in the New Testament, too. Near the end of Ephesians, right? We just had a whole eight-week sermon series on Ephesians, and this, this was part of the text from just a few weeks ago. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write about marriage and about the role of a husband and a wife in a marriage relationship. But it's really interesting because kind of right in the middle of that, of that section about the roles of husbands and wives in a marriage relationship, Paul says, you know, this is really a mystery, but really I'm not talking so much about husbands and wives, but, but I'm talking about Christ and his church. You see, we've been given this gift of marriage. It's a gift to society. It provides stability. It provides order. It provides peace. Right? It's, it's good for, for us. It's good for children. It's a wonderful blessing of God. But it's more than that, Paul says. Every marriage is to be an illustration of Christ and his church. He, the groom, and we, his people, believers, the bride. 
And this is how Paul is inspired to write about it there in Ephesians, about how this happens. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Men who are here today, if, if you're blessed to be married and you can remember back to your wedding day, if you were you know, married in a church, and what do you usually do? You come and you stand up here, and, and how do you feel? You, you are nervous, right? Your knees are knocking, your palms are sweaty, right? You're, you're just nervous, you're, you're, you feel all jittery inside. And you look to the back as that music begins to play. And try to, try to imagine when those doors opened up, and there you saw your bride, and how beautiful she looked in her wedding dress. And try to remember that, that feeling that came over you as you looked at her. And you're trying to hold back the tears, or if you're like me, they just, they just flowed. <laughs> right? that, that knowing that in just a few moments, that's going to be my wife. We're going to be united as one before God. That's how the Father looks at you. And even more so. He looks as you as this bride beautifully dressed without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but, but holy and blameless, perfect in his sight. Why? Not because you're so great. Not because you're so faithful, but because of Christ. That through water and the word, here in your baptism, he made you his very own. He gave you the robes of righteousness so that he can present you to God as his, his bride, who he loves dearly and faithfully forever. And friends, we need to be reminded of that faithful love of our God, don't we? We need to go back to those vows, that commitment that our Father makes to us, that, that God makes to us. And you do that as every time you come to his word you hear of that perfect, faithful love, that even though you go and you sin and you, pardon my language, prostitute yourselves to other gods, he says, I'm faithful to you and I love you and I forgive you. And he takes you back to those waters of your baptism to remind you that you are his, you are holy and blameless in his sight, presented to him as radiant. Every time that you come to the supper here and receive in a very real and personal way the body and blood of Christ, your God is coming to you and renewing that covenant to you and saying, you are mine, you are forgiven, you are loved. Friends, over and over, just like Hosea was told with Comer, God to you says, I am faithful to you. I love you forever. So what do we do? We long to know this faithful love of our God, that he remains faithful to us no matter what. What are we to do? Well, Hosea has some instructions for Gomer here, doesn't he? He says that, oh, wrong page. He says that you are to live with me many days, 
and you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. Get rid of all of this other stuff. Stop the spiritual adultery. Be committed to me. And that's what we long for, don't we? We don't know what happened to Gomer. We don't know anything about this after. Did she remain faithful and committed to Hosea? We don't know. But isn't that what we long to be to our God, who is so faithful to us, committed? And so what do we do? Well, we get rid of these other gods, these other things in our life that are taking our attention and our focus off of God and his love for us. Say, Lord, remove these from my life. We want to stop being a gomer. I was going to make that the theme of my sermon, but I didn't know how well that would translate. Stop being a gomer. Get rid of those things that, that you are, is, are drawing you away from the faithful love of God. Right? All of these good things that God gives us in this life, all of these blessings, right? those things we mentioned before, right? our, our work, in our family, in our money, and the, the, the things of this life, they're all blessings of God that we make into God's. Confess how you have put your hope and your happiness and your contentment and your joy in these things of this world rather than God himself. Repent and say, God, help me get these false gods out of my life and be perfectly and endlessly committed to you as you are to me. Help me to live my days in this world knowing your faithful love and living in that faithful love. And with your help, with your guidance, with your forgiveness, with your strength to be faithful to you as you have been so faithful to me. That's what we long for as the bride of Christ. To be faithful. To know his love to live in that love, to speak that love, to live that love. God grant it to us. Amen. Please stand.